Good morning. So, Levi, I got to apologize right away. This is on your dad. <laughs> he planted the seed. He said, we missed Levi's birthday today. So, happy birthday to Levi. I know he tried to come late, but... Um, Isaac asked me to read some verses this morning. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, there's, if there's any virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Church, that's hard when we do it on our own, when we do it in the natural. It doesn't work. It's exhausting. With the promises at the end of both of those, it says the God of peace will be with you, then it's possible. That's a promise. When we operate on, in our experiences or on our emotions, it doesn't work. I did that this week. Isaac called me out uh, and reminded me to tell my imagination how it's supposed to be, not to operate in our experiences. And I thank him for that, and actually it was him, Taya through him, so I'm even more <laughs> thankful for that. But when he asked me last night to read this, I was reading it, And what's, I've read it many times because it's one of my main verses. But the good report stood out to me. If we have a good report, say it so others can meditate on it, can grow from it. If you need a good report, come find people. They will pray for you. And God is faithful. Every time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you very much. Thank you, Corey. Good morning, Rock. I asked Corey to read that this morning. That's been on my heart. Um, just looking around at the world uh, locally, globally, nationally, wherever you look, that passage has been just reiterated and two reasons that I asked Corey to read it he's always the one that reminds me of it when I need reminded of it and also <clears throat> so that you guys heard somebody's voice other than mine share it because and here's why you guys you get used to hearing the tone of my voice the words that I say the way I articulate things and that's not bad but sometimes when we hear something from a different voice same words from a different voice we our ears perk up and our insides are like, wait a second, what is that? And I know that you guys are all familiar with that passage of scripture, but um, 
I just think it's really, really, really important, and this ties directly into what we've been talking about lately, about being Jesus conscious and aware of the Messiah in all of Scripture, because he is truth. He's the author of every good report, and as we focus on him, as we are aware of him, everything fades into focus, and when everything's in focus, we can have peace in the midst of any storm. Regardless of what's going on in the world, we can walk in peace. Ultimate victory has been delivered. It's not going to be. It has been. And it's difficult sometimes to see that because, and we're going to get into this this morning, we tend to look. We look at the natural. We see through the prism of us. But Before we get into the teaching this morning, I just want to take a minute as a church family and pray um, just to pray for this world, that we can not only focus on the truth of the word of God, that we can walk in joy, that we can rejoice, as he read the very first verse there, rejoice in the Lord always. As we rejoice in the Lord, we can do that because we focus on the truth, and as we do that, others will see. But I just want to pray, I want to take a minute this morning, and we're going to pray just for all the stuff going on in the world. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much. Jesus. We thank you that in the midst of key changes and rough starts to songs, Lord, that we glorify you, that we exalt no man, no speaker, no leader. We exalt no man. We exalt Jesus above everything. We worship you this morning. We exalt Jesus above wars and rumors of wars, against political upheaval and chaos. Father, We exalt Jesus above all the difficulties of this world, against lies. Father, we exalt the name of Jesus over everything. We pray right now a blessing over the people in Europe that are under threat, that are being attacked, that are undergoing loss. We just pray uh, mercy and grace to flood that land right now. We pray healing. Father, we thank you so much that you have liaisons on this earth, that you sent your spirit to dwell inside of us. And right now, Father, we pray that the Esters that are in the governments around the world would have the courage to rise up for such a time as this, to speak truth above all else, to speak your words, Father. We thank you for the example that Esther gives us of what that looks like. We just pray that in the governments that are involved in this turmoil, we pray that the Esther that are present would rise up right now. We call that out in the name of Jesus. It's not weird, Lord. You've given us examples of it. We just pray that forth right now. We declare that they will rise up and they will speak truth and that we will see an end to violence, to war, to bloodshed. We just pray life renewal, that in this season of difficulty and hardship around the world, that your name would be glorified, that the gospel would go forth. Thank you, Jesus, for this good news that we get to carry to our world, to our generation. This ministry of reconciliation that you have commissioned us to, this disciple-making that we can go out and we cannot stress and not worry We can walk in peace as we fix our eyes. We let everything run through the Rubik's or the screen of Philippians 4. 
that if it's not true and if it's not pure and if it's not just and if it's not of a good report, if it's not virtuous, Lord, we thank you that you give us the clarity, the wisdom to winnow it out and only let our minds fixate on you. We thank you so much for salvation, for the resurrection, for the person of Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. Good morning. It is good to see everybody this morning, and it is good to be here. Last week, we began looking at the person of Abraham, seeing Jesus in his story, seeing the Messiah in the story of Abraham, and we took a 30,000 foot flyover of the story, and we're going to go back to a couple, just a couple things and look at them this morning. This will be possibly one of the shortest messages on record here. Possibly. It may not be, but there's a possibility that it could be short. There's a couple of things that I I want us to look. We started last week, for anybody that wasn't here um, or hasn't been here, maybe you're visiting, we welcome you as family this morning, but we've been looking at going back in Scripture and seeing Jesus, not seeing ourselves. See, the, the natural bent of humanity is when we see a picture, we look for us. When we see a, read a story, we look for us. When we watch a movie, we look for us. We are tremendously self-focused and self-conscious. So much so that when we read the Word of God, even stories that were three, four, five, fifty-five hundred years ago, we still look for, where am I at in that? So if I do, we take these couple of verses and we're like, if I'm this guy and then I do this, then this will happen. Or if I'm this guy, then I should do this and maybe that'll happen. And we read ourselves into the story. And so what I believe the Lord is really quickening in my heart and drawing out of us as a body, especially this particular church body. This is is our church body. Now the church body is global, but this is us. And I believe this season of growth and learning is about being Jesus conscious. And that's cliche. It sounds like we could make a t-shirt with that. I'm not about making a t-shirt about it. I'm about making a lifestyle about it, about a, when we read the word of God, that we read it looking for Jesus, being conscious of the Messiah, not just the person of Jesus. We can find that if we get fun with the languages. We can find Jesus in the story of Joshua. That's Yeshua, deliverer. That's where the name Jesus comes from. And we, oh, well, there's Jesus. But I'm talking about Jesus, the Messiah, The Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is in every different facet of the Word of God from the beginning to the end. We're growing stronger in this. We're getting, we're getting, we're stretching our legs and our muscles at being able to look in Scripture and see Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, we see the account of Abraham and Sarah. We talked about this last week. In that passage of scripture, they knocked it out of the park. By faith, Abraham, man, he went out. He was great. He didn't have, obviously, any doubts. He just went, and he did exactly what God told him to do. And Sarah, she didn't even consider the fact that she had been barren for 90 years. She was just full of faith. Now, we know, we looked last week, we go back to the story in Genesis, that was not exactly what happened. But through the cross, we talked about this last week, this is just kind of a refresher, reminder, but through the cross, the only thing that passes through the cross in their story is by faith Abraham 
and by faith, Sarah. There's so much hope in that. I love that, that when we see on the cross side where we're at, it's by faith and by faith. Thank you, Jesus, by faith. We're learning, and this is the exact same thing that occurs in our lives. When our life is found in Christ, we're found in Christ, it's a story of by faith. You may write in your memoirs, I failed here, I did this, I screwed up, I walked in unbelief, I doubted this, and then there's this couple little sentences where it's like, but I believe God there. But once our lives get filtered through the cross, it's by faith. By faith. We're learning to behold Jesus in Scripture and become less self-aware. We're growing in beholding the glory of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 17 and 18. Jody, if you want to bring those up, we're going to read those before we get started this morning. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we behold the Messiah we start to look like him. And we've spent a lot of time in our lives and a lot of, much of Christianity spends time like, try hard to become this. Don't do the things that don't look like this. Do the things that do look like Jesus. Try hard. And then if you fail, we'll heap condemnation. You can go back and try harder and eventually achieve burnout. I couldn't do it, so I quit. I'm not doing church anymore because it's like, it's exhausting. I can't do it. Absolutely right. You'll never make it on your own. The law achieves its purpose in us trying to make it on our own. Try to fulfill the law, and you'll eventually get tired. And once you get tired, once we, and we used this metaphor a few weeks ago, when you're swimming in the pool, and eventually you get to the point when you're learning to swim, that you realize, I, I can't make it on my own. And until you get to that point, you'll never take the hand of the lifeguard. I think I'm doing it. And then eventually your lungs start to get on fire and it's like, I can't do it anymore. And you'll grab for anything. The law brings us, you know, we talked about this. The law, the old covenant law, does not save anyone from drowning. In fact, it just points out, hey, you're drowning. In case you're wondering, you are drowning. And in your current condition, you will drown. Jesus comes along, fulfills the law, says, yes, you're drowning. I will save you. Jesus' job is our Savior. And I'm getting off of my notes a wee bit. We saw last Sunday how intentional the Lord God was in reminding Abraham of his promise and of his covenant. You guys remember that from last week? You looked over and over and over Chapter after chapter, we saw that God was ever reminding him that he would be the father of many nations. Much like we see Jesus always willing to remind his disciples and now to remind us of our right standing with God. Jesus' willingness to continue to meet his disciples where they were. Right up to after the resurrection when he met with Thomas, confirming the word that Thomas had heard. Reminding him that he mattered to Jesus. You see, in the natural, we're going to come right back to this spot. We're going to read John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29 in a second. But in the natural, what we gravitate towards 
is conditional things. Like, prove yourself. Once you've proved yourself, well, then we will ascribe value to you. This is the way of the word. This is the way of the world. This natural environment is one of merit. You understand what, it, what merit is? It's to earn something. And the more we earn, we understand this in a company. If, we were just, if Trey and I came up here and we were, we're announcing the launch of some brand new exciting company, and Trey will be the CEO, we're going to hire all these people, we're going to hire all of you, and the more that you do for this company, the more we will pay you. Thank you, Danny. That's natural, and that's not wrong in this world. There's nothing wrong with that in this world. But that ain't how the kingdom operates. The kingdom does not operate based on the more you all bring into the kingdom of God, the more he's going to pour out into your lives. He'll love you more the more you work. That ain't love. That's a paycheck. And it's fine for the purposes of paychecks, but that's not how the kingdom operates. Jesus met with Thomas at the point in time, if Thomas had been an employee of Jesus, he would have fired him. Understand, like, we don't think about it in those terms, but it's like, he should have fired him. He not only said, I'm not sure if Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I do not believe. In fact, I will not believe. Okay, well, I would say furthering the kingdom is not gonna happen through that guy. Let's find a new guy. Find somebody that's more full of faith. This is how we tend to operate. But what do we see Jesus do? He met him where he was, full of unbelief. He met him in that moment of unbelief, and he ministered to him value. Let's, we'll see it. We'll read John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came, which is unfortunate for him. But the other disciples, we get a little glimpse into this. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. There's the word, the spoken word. The word went forth. Hey, guy, we saw Jesus, the Lord. He's raised from the dead. Get excited. He's raised from the dead. So Thomas says to him, this is not a statement of faith. Unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, which is often overlooked, but it's amazing. The doors being shut, Jesus appeared, stood in their midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reading his mail, I added that, but it's kind of implied, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In this moment, we see the Messiah meet Thomas in his doubt, in his unbelief, ascribe value to him, which is so unnatural for us. Like, I don't think we can quite understand it clear enough the magnitude of Jesus saying he mattered enough. He openly declared, not only do I not believe Jesus is alive, I don't believe any of my fellow disciples. What do you think that did for, uh, what do you call it, um, what are the things that we do today? Team bonding. This is not an exercise in team bonding. This is like, oh, you don't, now you don't believe us. 
Thomas was, this is where we get doubting Thomas. But Jesus never pulled his credentials. He never said, all right, Thomas, look, I'm going to show up to you, but from here on, we're done. If this was a business, that would have been the next logical move. But Jesus met Thomas even in his moment of unbelief or doubt. This morning, we're going to look at a few moments of doubt that Abraham walked out for us. Because, see, Abraham is an example. We see grace coming to earth in the life of Abraham before the law ever got here. It's, he's got an unpolluted view of God. It's not, it's not filled with a whole bunch of doing and trying to earn. But we see Abraham walk out a couple, we're just going to look at a couple instances this morning, and we're going to see Abraham walk in unbelief. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read, this is, we're going to read a fair big chunk of scripture a couple of times this morning. Genesis chapter 12, where I'm going to read just straight through 10 through 20 and try not to say anything other than just read it and then we'll come back to it, okay? Try. Now, there was a famine in the land and Abram, Abram went down to Egypt to dwell for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. The woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Verse 16, he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. Verse 20, so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Full of unbelief. Now, we just kind of plucked that up out of the chapter, and it reads like, it's a legitimate concern. We're going to a nation to find food. Um, Sarah's beautiful how are we going to navigate this? Because there's only one of me. Now, he would have had servants and stuff with him, but it's like we're not going to take on all of Egypt. I don't want to lose my life over this. They're going to, he's going to, the Pharaoh's going to want to marry you. Why don't we just protect ourselves? And we'll just go. She can, you can be my sister, and it'll be fine. Once the famine's over, we'll leave. We'll just kind of sneak out. We'll be fine. I ad-libbed a little bit there. We just read it, so I ad-libbed a little bit. And you might think, if this story was just on its own, randomly in Scripture, we would think, Okay, it worked out, you know, and we, we talk about this being like God's faithfulness and Abraham's faithlessness, which is true, but I want to highlight or accent just how full of unbelief Abram was in this moment. If you look up just a little bit before this, same chapter, verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. This is the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, almighty God. To a land I will show you, I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Moments before he receives a promise from God. God delivers this. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make you a great nation. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A couple of verses later, Abram's so full of faith, he's like, listen, let's lie about our marital status so that maybe I'll live. Now, do you understand? I want to draw this contrast a little bit big. This is, okay, if you were God in this moment, which we are not, thank Jesus, but in this moment, it's like, did you not understand? I just told you, I'm, gonna, I'm taking care of you. I will curse. If, if Pharaoh tries anything, let's rewind, Abram. I will curse those who curse you. Okay, we should be good because God said he's going to curse anyone who curses me. So if Pharaoh brings a curse upon your family or attacks, we should be good. Do you understand this? And then a couple of verses later, he's full of unbelief and doubt. Well, look at another, little, another passage of Scripture. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. There's going to be a little bit of reading. If you were looking for a nap, this could be a little long. Maybe stand up if you think you're going to fall asleep. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham instead of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Wait a second. Is this Genesis 20 or Genesis 12? I guess this is Genesis 20. Abram said of, Abraham said of his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? I love this. I have to keep reading. I'll come back to that. She is my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said unto him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told them, told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God was not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. I, I'm gonna keep reading. She became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. 
And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. Verse 17, So Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and they bore children. For the Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. There is so much in this. But before we get into this, I want, to, I want us to take notice. Same story as chapter 12. Do you understand, church, the magnitude of faithfulness that Abraham had experienced up to this point? He had no reason to doubt God's hand of provision at this point. The first point, it's like, I don't know, him and God are just starting out. He's kind of like, I don't know if he's going to take care. Like, yeah, I believed him, I went out, but this is years later. Potentially 20 plus years between these two. That's a long time. Now, this particular word, I got to take a drink here. This particular word, as I was preparing this this morning, this section of this morning, I feel like is specifically for somebody here, and I don't usually do this, but I, it is, there is somebody here, somebody in this room we're, we're dealing, when we tend to this, and maybe it's multiple of us, but I think you guys can relate to this, that you get born again as a child or a young person or years ago, whenever it is, and you make a whole bunch of mistakes and you operate in some unbelief. Not amen, like let it be, but like we've all been there, right? We can all oper- or understand that. And we got some understanding for that. Man, we'll minister grace all day long to somebody. They get, man, they got born again and they're still like kind of fumbling around and making some mistakes, operating in some unbelief, not really sure about whether to take God at his word. But let a few decades pass. Let a few decades pass and we're pretty quick to condemn ourselves, aren't we? We walk with the Lord for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and then we have a moment where we're walking into this new land between Kadesh and Shur. And we just, in that moment, it's like we revert to natural stuff. But walking with the Lord, believing God, a few mistakes in that decade or two decades, but in that moment, how quick do we adopt condemnation as our way of life? And we start identifying with condemnation. It's like, I cannot believe I did this. Surely the Lord will withhold blessing, favor, provision from me because of my unbelief. Is this, anybody been, I've been there, I'm just telling you, I've been there, and this is the word the Lord gave me. Possibly, potentially 20 plus years in between these two. And you know how the Lord met him? He ended up with a thousand pieces of silver, donkeys, servants, blessed beyond measure. Now, I, this is, sounds I, gotta, I hate that I have to qualify this, but this sounds like, so unbelief is rewarded. Let's go all unbelief. That's not what we're getting at here. 
The Lord was not honoring his position of unbelief, church. The Lord was honoring his covenant. This is a whole nother deal. It wasn't, God's not like, man, he's so full of unbelief, let's bless him on the way out. No, the Lord was like, I got a covenant deal with this guy. I will bless him at every turn. Back to Genesis 12, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. You're everywhere you go. Look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. This is your land. I made a covenant with myself to bless you. Does this sound familiar? Salvation that is available to us is a covenant between God and his son with us as the beneficiaries. This is the story of salvation played out in another facet of Abraham's life. Satan is the father of lies and partial truths. I believe that Satan's poison of choice is partial truth. A bold-faced lie, it's like most people don't believe that. But if he can work in partial truths, what do we see Abraham walking in here? This wasn't a bold-faced lie. We're kind of like, she's kind of my sister. Did you, see, did you see that in the story? It's like, well, you know, and Abraham's so quick to be like, uh, well, well, she, she is my sister. Now, is there a sister relationship, which is a whole other weird thing? Yes, it's there. But you know what was after them being sort of related like that was husband and wife. That's who they are is husband and wife. But he's like, well, let's kind of go back before that. A partial truth. The enemy loves to operate in partial truths. The second thing I want to draw out of this passage, verse 10 of chapter 20 in Genesis, then Abimelech said to Abraham, and I want us, if you're writing anything down or highlighting anything, this is a verse I want us to highlight this morning. What did you have in view? This is the question that I want to ask us this morning, and We're aware of the Messiah, and as we are aware of the Messiah, and we walk out in this world, in this week, in this set of circumstances that we find ourselves in, what do we have in view? And I go back to what Corey read earlier. What do we have in view? And Abimelech said to Abraham, what do you have in view that you have done this thing? See, Abimelech saw it. He called it. It's like, uh, why would you do this? Well, I don't understand why you would do this. And Abimelech viewed it as a wrong towards him. Like, why would you put me in this position? But I, I, out of that verse, I see that question. What do we have in view? Abraham, much like Eve in the garden, was more aware of himself at this time than he was with his covenant with Almighty God. This is the question I want to ask us this morning. Do we walk this life out more aware of our covenant with God or more aware of ourselves and our own failures and weakness. Abraham in this situation, as in the situation in Egypt, was overwhelmingly more aware of his own inadequacies and his own failures and shortcomings. That's what he was aware of because it's only in the face of awareness of his inadequacies that he would even think about jeopardizing his marriage. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. He was aware of himself. There are times in this life that our own self-awareness, which always operates in fear and insecurity, can seem to overwhelm us. And these are the times that the enemy uses to accuse us. 
You see, if you put yourself back in this story with Abraham, walking in some unbelief, you know, God's perspective on Abraham never changed. God didn't say, yeah, I, I wish I hadn't made Abraham. He never said that. Let's get a new one. Can we find another Abraham? This one's not working out. God kept a covenant with Abraham. His view of Abraham never changed. But you know what we, we know because we know humanity. You know what did change? Abraham's view of himself. And what the enemy will always try to bring into our lives is in those moments where we don't believe, where we doubt, where we unbelieve, periodically we do stupid things. We've all been there. We, periodically we operate, we act out, we step out, we speak out. Oftentimes for me it's I speak out in unbelief. I speak out stupid. And then that's what the enemy always runs on repeat. It's like, hey, remember your unbelief? Remember your unbelief? And he'll, like details, it's like pretty, he can put together pretty good little mixtapes of our operating in unbelief. And then we can begin to see ourselves different. This is why it's so important. The takeaway from this entire year of teaching is that we can grow in consciousness of Jesus. As we grow in consciousness of Jesus, we will strengthen our understanding of the covenant we have with him. And understand, God has never broke a covenant yet. And he's not gonna start. He can't. If you have a covenant with Almighty God, that is absolutely front and center in our lives. So that the question of what do we have in view, we can answer with confidence. What do we have in view that we would walk in peace? What do we have in view that we would be calm? What do we have in view that we would know when to move left or right or advance? We see the Lord deliver Abraham over and over and over. In spite of the fact that in the natural, this would have been the perfect time for God to revoke the promise. If you aren't going to trust me that I will preserve your life, how will you ever believe that I will give you a son, nations, descendants? Like you don't even trust that I can protect you. A little side note that I want to just kind of draw out here. Uh, let's see, where are we at here? In verse 6, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 20, it says, God said to him in a dream, this is, God's talking to Abimelech, <clears throat> God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. I love, this is, again, this is a side note of this, but I just, I love that God was using Abraham as his liaison on earth. We would think the way our, our American 2020 understand, or 2022 general understanding of God is that if God wanted Abimelech to live, he would just tell him, you're good, you can live. That's how we understand it. But what did God do? He said, if Abraham prays for you, you'll be all set. We, we understand this as like, well, God, God's going to do whatever God's going to do. God's going to do what he's going to do through us. When we go, he goes. He goes in us. 
We get so, we can get so wrapped up in, wow, I don't know, like I'm good, but wow, the world's on fire. Wait a second. You're holding the hose to put the fire out. We've got what it takes. We have the gospel. We have the solution to the world's dumpster fire. We're holding buckets saying, oh, I don't know, I'm good, but that looks like a big fire. We've got the buckets, and they're full. We have the gospel. But if we don't go, he ain't going to go. If Abraham didn't pray for him, implied is you ain't going to make it. Restore the man's wife. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you, and you shall live. He was working through Abraham then, much like he works through us today. We have to go carry this gospel. We have to represent. We are ministers of, re- of reconciliation, and if we don't administer that reconciliation, ain't nobody going to be reconciled. You understand? I mean, this, I'm saying this over and over because it's really, really important. There's a whole bunch of little notes here, and it is, we're rolling right along. Last point that I want to get at today, it's like three points, but we're going to condense it kind of into one. Out of what we were just talking about, God communicated his promise to Abraham in the form of the stuff that he saw every day. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, God talks about uh, he was going to make the nations that come from Abraham as the dust of the earth. In Genesis 15, 5, we see that he compares them to the stars in the sky. See, today, if, we, if God was giving us this promise today in Ohio, we'd say the dust of the earth is like, I don't know, I mean, there's not that much dust, is there? So today, in March, he would say, I will make your descendants as numerous as the salt on the roads. That's a lot. Are you sure, Lord? I mean, we salt in 60 degrees, 70 degrees. We salt, there's a lot of salt, Lord. I will make your descendants as numerous. But see, God articulates his promise in a currency that Abraham understood. This is what I want us to get at. He meets us where we are. He articulates that. He says, okay, what are the couple of things that Abraham's going to see every day? He's a wanderer, right? He's got tents and he wanders around. This is what we've looked at the last couple of weeks. He's God called him out and he's like, go. And, and, they, and Hebrews talks about he lived in tents and they traveled around waiting for that city which has foundation that God establishes. And living in tents, walking around in Canaan, at this particular time in human history, there was not a lot of pavement. There was a lot of dust. Something that Abraham would see often, brought to his remembrance often. The second one, the stars in the sky. Remember, in this day and age, there were no, their camels did not have headlights. There was no street lights. They were living in tents in the fields. They had a clear view, crystal clear view of the stars. Has any, have you guys ever been somewhere where there was no lights? It's hard to find it around here. But I, there's been a handful of times we've been on um, my wife's family. They got a cottage on Burt Lake. And sometimes you go out on the lake in the middle of the night or out late and there, you can't see any lights. It's amazing. And all you see is stars. We think there's like seven stars around here because it's like there's seven really bright ones. I think there's some other ones. No, I just the seven. That's how we see it here because we got so many other lights. But for Abraham, it was so clear, the stars of the sky, from horizon to horizon and north to south, east to west horizons, there was stars. 
I love, absolutely love that the Lord ministers this covenant to Abraham in a language and a currency that he understood and would be reminded of often. You see this translate into the new covenant. What's, what is communion made up of? The articles of communion, the parts, it's bread and it's wine. It's, they were common to them that, at that point in time. That was a common thing. Things that they encountered. Now, I, we're not going to get into a teaching on communion right now, but the Lord always reminds us of these covenants. He gives us things that are normal so that when we see, we understand this, and this is not the greatest time. My wedding ring doesn't fit on my finger anymore. We're still happily married. But my wedding ring does not fit on my finger. But we understand in our culture, we understand reminders. Things so that every time you put your hands on the steering wheel, hi, sweetie. You understand, we get this as humans. We get Let's put reminders somewhere we see them all the time. That's how the Lord met Abraham. He's like, every time you look at the stars, I want to remind you, you're going to be the father of many nations. Every time you're shuffling your sandals through the dust, you're going to have offspring and descendants as many as the dust of the earth. Things that he saw often. And you see, I believe this is intentional. The enemy is quick with his accusations, isn't he? But the Lord is intentional with his promise reminders. In the natural, Abraham had a few things that supported his doubt, right? In, this, in his natural environment, in the state that he was in, he had a handful of things. He had his old age. Father of many nations, not looking good. Getting pretty old, don't have any kids. The barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb, which also tied in. These are natural things. It's like, uh, I see these every day. He sees, the, he sees himself every day, and he sees the barrenness of his wife's womb every day. It's like, Lord, I've got a lot of reasons in the natural to be filled with doubt. These are the areas the enemy desires to have the highlighter in our lives. In our natural, we have, much like he had, we have our flesh the darkness of the, of the world, and the apparent barrenness of our spiritual wombs, our failures, our shortcomings, the things we have not seen happen. We've got these things, just like Abraham had. And so there's all these things going on, but what is, where does, and I love, in the natural, these are all the things Abraham had going. But remember what we just talked about. Where did God remind him of his promises? The things that he saw as much or more than his own shortcomings. He saw these things as much or more. The Lord counters these naturally apparent barriers, shortcomings or failures with promise or covenant reminders. They're impossible for Abraham and for us to miss. It was impossible for him to live the rest of his life without seeing the stars and the dust. Constant and overwhelming reminders of God's promise. The dust and the stars so far outweigh his natural shortcomings and failure that they actually pale in comparison. The magnitude of the stars had to bring Abraham to a point every night, and some stars you see in the morning yet, makes his shortcomings 
pale in comparison. We've talked about a lot of different things this morning. We've looked at the story of Abraham a little bit more. We've got a couple more weeks. We're going to look at some stuff here. I just pray that this has ministered to us as we, as we go from this place, as, we, as the enemy attempts to bring unbelief into our hearts, doubts, fears, that when we're going into these uncertain times, you know, our times that we're living in are no less certain than Abraham going into Egypt or going into Shur. There's no, they're no less, it's not like, well, we're more, it's more uncertain today than it was then. No, he had every reason in the natural to believe that he was going to fail, that he was going to be killed, that things were going to be taken from him. No, we have, we're not like, it's way worse now. It's different. It's different things, but it's the same principle. And as we go into those seasons of uncertainty, as we enter those kingdoms where we're not sure how this is going to play out, I encourage us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to trust the giver of his promise. We're getting stronger. We're starting to look and see the promises in the word of God. Okay, we're starting to see those. But I want to encourage us, trust the giver of those. He's good for it. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We can be bold as a lion because he's good for it. He gave us boldness. He gave us the ability to be good for it. The reason a lion is calm and bold is because they know they're good for it. There's nothing they're going to encounter in their day in the desert or the jungle or the safari or wherever they're at. Nothing they're going to encounter that they're not good for. As believers today, the Word of God and the Spirit of God has equipped us with everything that we need. So when we step out, when we leave this place, we leave confident. We leave bold. Not confident. I want to just stop for a second. We don't have to be confident in us. In fact, when we're confident in us, we'll come up with some weird stuff. Well, she's my sister, and we're hoping to eat here for a couple of years. That's weird. That's how we come up with it. But when we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we walk calm and bold, full of courage. Worship team, if you would come back up, we're going to do a little bit. They can either play behind me or we're going to do a song. And if they don't want to, we can probably play music or something too. I just, my, my prayer for us this morning is that we can go from this place with confidence, confident in Jesus. And I know we talk about this a lot every week, and, and sometimes you might think, this is a little bit of uh, transparency, which isn't always necessarily the most popular thing. But it's, it's our world today, especially our, our church, our Christian world, not this church body, but our, the Christian world does anybody know, notice that in the day of podcasts, in the days of online teaching, and for those of you that have preached or shared the gospel from, in public, there is this pressure. There is this pressure to have like the next cleverest thing. The best cliche words to share. The best way to articulate this story. And you know, I, I don't have that. I don't have a new exciting thing. In fact, I have the oldest thing back to the very first book of the Bible is all I carry. 
the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And that's all I have to preach. I'm not opposed to people preaching exciting things. I love to preach exciting things, but I just have the gospel. And that's it. That's all we need. If you would stand with me this morning, I want to make a declaration over us before we leave this place. We're reminded, Lord, that you are a faithful God, that you are long-suffering, full of patience and grace. We declare that in moments of uncertainty, we can look with certainty unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are learning to be stewards, rightly dividing the word of truth, beholding Jesus at every turn. Here at The Rock, we believe in strong biblical families with husbands and wives who love and respect each other, raising up godly children in the word of God. We're learning to be led by the Spirit of God as we carry this message of reconciliation to our generation. We believe with Solomon that the path of the righteous is like the shining sun, shining brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So today as we go from this place, we go with the boldness of a lion, confident and certain in Jesus Christ the Messiah, our Savior, the same yesterday, today, and forever. forever. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, the truth that is revealed in your word, the little glimpses we get of your goodness and your character, your heart for us, revelation of the Messiah. Thousands of years before Jesus set foot on this planet, you were revealing your heart. Types and shadows, bits and pieces We can hear the undertones of grace and your faithfulness. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.